Well, we uh, arrive today to Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is question and answer 57 and 58, and I'll read this for us today. How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Let's go to the Lord now. As we've heard his word, we have seen it summarized. Let's ask for the Spirit to open our eyes, to recognize and to apply the truth of God's word. Almighty and everlasting God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners conceived and born in sin, unable to do anything good of ourselves. But we do repent of our sins and seek your grace to help us in our remaining weaknesses. Through the teaching of your word, which we confess with the church throughout the ages, satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst with your refreshing truth, that we with all our hearts may love and serve you with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God, who lives and reigns forever. Amen. A little over a week ago, the Reformed world lost three prominent pastor theologians in the course of just a few days. On May 18th, Harry Reeder, one of the founders of the Presbyterian Church in America and a prominent pastor in, uh, in the South, was killed in a car crash in Birmingham, Alabama. The next day, May 19th, Tim Keller, who planted Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, he co-founded the Gospel Coalition, he wrote numerous books, died after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. And then two days later, on the Lord's Day, on May 21st, Donald McLeod, perhaps a lesser known name in our circles on this side of the pond, but he was a theologian and pastor in the Free Church of Scotland, Donald McLeod, and he also died. Just these three men, if we were to tally up the accomplishments, the influence of just these three men, and in just our circles, if we could refer to it that way, you know, kind of conservative, somewhat evangelical, and reformed Christians, even when we just narrow it down to these three people and their scope of influence, it would be impossible to calculate. They have been used mightily for the kingdom of God, for the spread of the gospel. But brothers and sisters, regardless of their influence, the Lord took them all. The Lord took them all. Like anything, we can become morbidly fascinated with topics like death. But in our time, and in our day and age, the topic of death is mostly avoided. We'd rather not think of it. We want to put it in the back of our minds. And if you're of a certain age, although we're prone to this no matter our age, 
we kind of feel, we sense that we are invincible. But avoiding death is not biblical. Moses says to the Lord in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to know. Not that we're trying to predict our days, of course. That's not what the psalmist is saying. But teach us, rather, to know that our days will come to an end. And in this way, when we learn, with God's help, to number our days, we will become wise. Christians are truly equipped to do this. We are uniquely equipped because we firmly believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Those are the two articles from the Apostles' Creed that we're spending our time looking at this evening. And we believe firmly and truly that Christ will raise up our bodies and grant to us the gift of life everlasting. And because everlasting life has come to us through Jesus Christ, there are saving consequences for our souls, for our bodies, and for all creation. And knowing these things helps us to number our days and to find joy even now and in that moment of death when we are walking through death's dark shadow. That first one, we recognize that Christ will cleanse the soul. That's one of the consequences of of God through His Son giving us the gift of eternal life. Christ will cleanse the soul. Remember that in question and answer one of our catechism, we learn this fundamental truth, that human beings are made up of bodies and souls, and that for believers, both of these belong to Christ. He's purchased us body and soul, and we belong to Him. Therefore, a person's relationship to Jesus is the deciding factor in what happens to the soul. If you're still there in John chapter 5, look with me at verses 21. Verse 21, Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So the topic that is in mind here, as Jesus is speaking in John 5, the topic is raising the dead and giving them life. And Jesus will now go on to apply this teaching first to the soul and then to the body. So we see him apply it first to the soul. Look with me at verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You recognize here that this is something that Jesus is saying that when belief in the Son of God, when belief in the Word of God has taken place in the heart of a person, then he has passed from death to life. This is something that's happening now before the resurrection takes place. He says, that this person does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And when Jesus speaks of judgment here, he is talking about God's just punishment against sin. 
Those who do not honor the Son and the Father or believe the word of the Father concerning His Son are still under this threat of judgment. Jesus is saying that their souls will continue on in a state of spiritual death under the dreadful judgment of God. But here's the good news. For those who hear the word and believe it, their souls have experienced resurrection. Again, as he says in verse 24, they have passed from death to life. If you believe this, brothers and sisters, if you believe this, then you have already now a great help to you in the moment of death. This is a tool, so to speak, that you already have in your toolbox that you can bring out and use in the moment of your death. In the hour of the deepest darkness of your life, you have this great help. What Jesus is describing here when when he talks about passing from death to life, what he is describing here is the cleansing of our souls from its impurity. Cleansing of the soul. And even now in this life, our souls begin to experience this. Believers begin to hate their sin and more and more to run away from it. But when death comes, the cleansing of the soul will be completed and perfected. We experience it now in this life. We, be, we begin to experience the joy of this everlasting life, bursting forth, as it were, in our own hearts so that we begin to hate sin. But that cleansing of impurity will be totally complete the moment that you die. And this is why, brothers and sisters, this is why Paul says, to die is gain. And he goes on to say, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Because we believe in the resurrection, we have comfort and confidence that when the Lord calls us home, it is in that very moment that our souls are cleansed and taken into the presence of the Savior who did the cleansing. That is the truth and the comfort that comes to us even now in this life and particularly at the moment of our death, that Christ will cleanse our souls. But secondly, Christ will also glorify the body. The line in the creed specifically says that I believe in the resurrection of the body. That's the the particular thing that, that is in mind when we confess this. It is good for our souls to depart and to be in the presence of our ascended Lord. That is good, but it is not best. God made the first humans as both body and soul together, and he pronounced it very good in Genesis 1, 31. The doctrine of the resurrection of the body proclaims to us that our souls and bodies must be reunited. And that is what Jesus promises in this same passage in John chapter 5. Again, he gave a blanket statement in verse 21. 
He says that the Father and the Son raise the dead and give life. That's a big blanket statement. Jesus has applied this to the soul, that it passes from death to life. And now in verses 28 and 29, he applies it to the body. He says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Once again, there is a severe warning here for the unbeliever. The judgment of God awaits those who will not show honor to the Son of God by hearing His word and believing it. Those who haven't believed in Christ and who have persisted in evil will be raised. That's very important for us to recognize that the teaching of Holy Scripture says that there is a resurrection both for the just and the unjust, for the righteous and the unrighteous. But that raising of the unrighteous will be, as Jesus says in verse 29, the resurrection of judgment. Or what we read earlier in Revelation 21 when, when John referred to this as the second death. You see, for the believer, we die now to ourselves and to the power of sin. We die, and then when we die in our bodies at that moment of our death, that second death for us is an entering into eternal life. God redeems this whole terrible corrupt process of death and decay. He, he turns it to our good. He makes it a moment of salvation and of eternal life for us. But for the unbeliever who dies apart from the Lord, their moment of death is the first death, but then they will be raised with a different kind of resurrection, the resurrection of judgment. And it is for them the second death. With their unclean souls now reunited to their corrupted bodies, those who reject Christ will undergo the almighty wrath of God, world without end. It is a terrible thought, and it should cause all of us to tremble. And it should, with the Spirit's help, cause those who have not yet believed in Christ to tremble before God in order that they might believe. Because as Terrible a thought as, as, as this is for unbelievers, the comfort for believers in this teaching is as equally wonderful and sweet. You and I should take up this comfort like a spiritual weapon anytime we fear death or when we are tempted to despair or when the world teaches us to despise our bodies even though God made them good. And that comfort that we should wield is this. That because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, your body will remain, but be glorified. Because of Jesus Christ, your body will remain, but it will be glorified. Whatever your death is like, no matter the state of your body when Christ returns, he will make you fit for the kingdom of God, a body that is free of all the effects of the curse. And this must take place. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot enter, cannot inherit, that is, the kingdom of God. 
We must be transformed. We must be given spiritual bodies, glorified bodies, bodies which are fit for the kingdom of God. And that is what Jesus will grant to all who turn to him. The Lord Jesus will return on the cloud with an army of angels and with a trumpet blast so loud that it will shake even the dead from their tombs. Even the seas will give up their dead, as Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 teaches. Though we will have returned to the dust, He will put us back together and reunite us comfortably and everlastingly to our souls that will have it up until that point been enjoying the presence of Jesus disembodied for however long it will have been. But finally reunited. The glory of His face will make us glorious and He will glorify our bodies. Lastly this evening, Christ will not all only transform us, not only cleanse our souls, not only glorify our bodies, He will regenerate the world. He will regenerate the world. All of this that we've been talking about here, about, about our souls, about our bodies, all of this raises the questions, well, then what? When Christ returns and raises us, where do we go and what do we do? What happens next? When we confess that we believe in the life everlasting, we are saying not only that we will have life in ourselves, that Christ has given to us life in our bodies, but also that a place of life will be given to us. He will remake, He will regenerate the whole world. That's how Jesus speaks about the world that is to come in the Gospel of Matthew. He speaks of the regeneration of the world. And this, brothers and sisters, has always been the hope of God's people. That we would not just have new bodies and a new soul, remade soul, so to speak, but a place in which we enjoy those things, those blessings, and our God. God didn't just make Adam and Eve and they were floating in the air. He gave them a place to call home. When God made promises to Abraham and to the Israelites, He made promises not just concerning their salvation, that He would redeem them, but that He would give them a place to call their own. A home, a place, a land. But these promises of a a land, of a place to live on earth, these were mere shadows, just down payments for something that was to come. The substance was, and is, still to come. This is why Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 says that through faith, Abraham was able to see the land in front of him that God was promising to him, and then by faith see beyond that land that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham saw the land of promise set out before him, and he knew by faith that this was just a down payment for something 
greater. A city that has true, solid foundations designed and built by God. What is that city? What is that city? It is the world remade. Revelation 21 verses 1 and 2 describes it for us. The Apostle John was given this vision and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Loved ones in Christ, this city, this new world that is coming, it is a place of perfect blessedness, such that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. It is the place of eternal life. The life of God given to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. And this is a comfort that can dispel our fears of death and teach us to number our days. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we pray that you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching. Assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the truth, the true doctrine proclaimed to us, by your great blessing may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.